Welcome back to another episode of The Searcher's Podcast. This is Ben, and I have to admit that I made a mistake on the last announcement only because our schedules lined up for all three of us, and we went with Kevin's pick for this episode instead of another movie Chris and I were going to cover on our own. So, therefore, the next episode will be an Abbas Kiriostami movie, and this episode is an Ernst Lubitsch movie known as Broken Lullaby. So without further ado, here's episode 29 of The Searchers Podcast. Please enjoy. Plane for 48, no, 60 days straight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was your own yeah. own version of Lost, right? And then you, then you came exactly. back. Minus exactly. The, minus yeah. the uh, tropical island. <laughs> I've been stuck 30,000 feet in the air for days and days and days. But a tropical island, maybe this month. Hopefully. The, hip, we'll see. the hip kids would call it uh, the show Manifest, Chris. Come on. Get, I was just about to say that. Get, get yes. with it. Get with it. <laughs> I am with it for your information. Yes. We are kids are into. We are back. This is the this is the first time we've been recording since like very early May. It's been over almost a month, I think. Yeah. And for Kevin, it's probably been like what Mm -hmm. six weeks. We're back. Oh boy, Kevin. (laughs) Kevin, please please inform the listeners what we are listening. Well, what they are listening to and what we are reviewing today. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today you will be hearing us talk about an Ernst Lubitsch film, a very, very early Ernst Lubitsch film known as Broken Lullaby of 1932. And people may know Ernst Lubitsch of To Be or Not To Be fame or the Christmas classic Shop Around the Corner. Now, this film is a bit different because it's in the pre-code era and hits more so uh, hits more so into melodrama than what you're used to of Lubitsch flair. And the film is about a French violinist named Paul, who was a World War I French soldier. And he recently partakes in the victory of the Central Powers over the Axis Powers. However, what haunts him is a memory of killing an, in, an innocent German soldier named Walter. And it's a memory that he can never forget. So, with his guilt nearly overtaking him and his attempt to find peace failing, by the encouragement of a priest after confession, Paul heads to Walter's home in Germany to seek forgiveness from the soldier's grieving parents and his fiancée. But will peace finally manifest within his soul, or as opposed to the French victory over Germany, will this mission of his fail? So... In a way, this is probably the most serious. Uh, I, I've only seen four Ernst Lubitsch films, but this is, I think, by far the most serious and um, more so guilt-ridden uh, Ernst Lubitsch film than I'm used to, and maybe that probably many viewers aren't very used to either. And uh, this was one that we had wanted to do for a while now. And um, so for you guys... Uh, 
What did you think? What did you think of Broken Lullaby? Well, I my first thought is it's interesting to see a movie cover World War One only 13, 12, 13 years after the event. So in my mind, I immediately went to the recency thinking about that today would be a movie taking place in 2009 or 2010. Which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ben? Um, I really... I was pleasantly surprised. I thought I was going to be... Well, the one thing I'll point out first, because I know Kevin Kevin likes when I bring this what? up, is that I uh, uh... adore... The, the runtime here. It's like what, 70, <laughs> 75 minutes? It's like I was waiting for perfect. it. I was waiting for it. <laughs> a breezy for, 75. Hey, a crappy a crappy movie goes by really quick at 75 minutes. So <laughs> this is not a crappy movie. Um no. But uh yeah, I'll bring it up pretty early in, in the little talk we're gonna in our little discussion. So is this an anti war movie? You know what? Um, I thought about that. I thought about yeah, that thought because about that too. because of how steeped this is morally. There is a huge moral aspect to war that goes beyond killing people is bad, right? Because yeah. if you think about war strategically and how governments interact with each other and how different communities react to each other geopolitically it's uh, always a fight about moral standards is, is what it comes down to. And then microscopically that boils down to each person in the war and how that affects their soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this yeah, w- I mean, this- go ahead, Kevin. No, I mean, I, I just wanted to say like it, whether this was an anti-war or a pro-war film, it wasn't really something that crossed my mind uh, when when viewing it. I, I I can agree with what Chris just said, uh, and that is a, that is definitely a good analysis on, on on that subject. But really, what I saw was still I'm so used to having seen uh, Lubitsch's more you know lauded works, such as say "To Be or Not to Be," "Shop Around the Corner," or uh, "Ninotchka." He I really just focus more so on his style and it's more so uh, it's, it's more so just like the style of narrative, the style of wits, the style of charm. And um, man, what I just showed me the cookie right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My my wife just gave me cookies and is distracting Kevin. Sorry. Yeah. Totally knocked Kevin off his train of thought. Yeah. Now I don't know what to say. Now I'm seeing you bite into that cookie. Now I'm, so, oh my God. <laughs> I'll welcome, say, Kevin, okay. that yeah. just to pick up where I think you were going with that is yeah. part of what the film is trying to say, you know, with that charm, the moral situation, it's obviously from its era. Yeah. There are timeless qualities to that, which is what we observe through two of the main characters, at least. You know, with how they juggle this situation of the war through their souls. And that's that's evident with how innately religious the film starts out and continues to be. But we, we start yeah. with that scene 
after a little bit of introduction, we start with that scene where the troubled Walter, who survives, is trying to overcome the fact that he killed a man. And the intro, that that leads us to a moment where he confronts a priest and he's not satisfied with the answer. Um, I did tell Ben that I wanted to show this clip, mainly just because it had some Latin in it. And I Mm -hmm. think it's pretty cool Mm -hmm. to see some Latin blessings thrown thrown down in a film. Um, There was really no other point to it, but this was a good segue because now we're talking about the morals and where, where the film comes from and how, and how it's handling its moral guilt. Um, so I, why don't we play it? Shoot. Amen. I came here to find peace. And you haven't given it to me. Giant pause. Yeah. But then there he is looking at the portrait. Mm-hmm. Is that the is that the portrait from Topaz? It's an illustration of the Pieta, right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. It's, it's cut a, off it's at the very, top. Yeah, it's cut it's off at the top. Is that in Topaz? Exactly. It is, sir. You nailed it. it. I am the callback <laughs> king, apparently. So I'll go no. with that. No, yes, that's a good. To it. That's a good <laughs> scene because, as you said, a lot of religious symbology. Uh-huh. Well, a lot of religious things in general. They're in a church, and there's a priest. But I, I, there was a lot of religious symbology in the entire. Um, beginning and they, they focused in mm-hmm. on the cross at one point. Um, clearly, there's supposed to be a lot of. You're supposed to feel very. He's supposed to feel guilty for what he did, and then he, you know, the rest of the movie is his mm-hmm. redemption arc, trying to get back, you know, whatever he lost in this war that took a part of him, and uh, a really he, he's tortured by it, and you know, mm-hmm. one thing leads to well, another. It makes sense. It does. And to go back to Kevin, or not Kevin's question, sorry, your question, Ben, about is this a pro-war film? Is that how you asked it? Anti-war. Anti-war. Anti-war film. I would say at the very least it's a pro-pacifist film because this character here is, I mean, this is a great spot that you pause the video because he's looking at the Pieta. He sees Christ. Christ is a symbol of pacifism. Right? So... He, his character, is struggling to attain that. Um, and that for him, this character, I can't remember the actor's name. That scene was really short, but he, I think he had incredible acting in that scene. I don't think it's consistent throughout the movie. Um, yeah. He sort of, he sort of has like nice, he has nice bursts of energy. Right. And Phillips like Holmes. a Phil Tones, thank you. Yeah. And he has nice bursts of energy and his sometimes manic energy in his face. Um, it's just not consistent. So just a little critique on, on his acting, but, um, yeah, that's my two cents. It's a pro pacifist film and, and Christ obviously relates to his character or he relates to Christ in that way rather. Yeah. And if I may add to what you were saying, uh, Chris, about the, uh, about the, the Christ imagery there, I mean, so pretty much throughout the entire film, you see, uh, Paul 
he's basically he he does want peace and he is seeking that inner peace within himself but he has to suffer to attain it and the mm -hmm. entire it's all about suffering and it's all about contradiction. And I, I just want to point out that in addition to that imagery. So when you see all the French soldiers, they're attending a traditional Latin mass. And the, I think one of the first shots after you see the archival footage of World War I, you see shots of their sheathed swords, just kind of the tips just lying on the floor as the camera just pans over all the pews in, in church, and you hear, you hear the priest's homily. And really, what the priest... So, I have the quote here. In the homily, the priest says, quote, Let us be thankful that peace has come. Peace. Let us look to our tomorrows and forget our yesterdays. Peace on earth to men of goodwill. However, when he says that, the imagery completely contradicts that statement because you see swords lying on the floor. So... As you keep going through the film, that that imagery, uh, m married to the priest's homily, it's a form of contradiction and it's a form of struggle. It's a form of really there is no inner peace within Phillips Carroll's uh, Paul, and it sets the it sets the tone for the entire film, the entirety of the runtime. You just see him struggling, and I think that also adds to just like he's sort of manic <laughs> the entire time, just. Uh, mm -hmm you were saying earlier chris uh so i, th I felt that, that was really really fitting that in order to attain or the attempt to attain that peace you're gonna have to go through hell to achieve it and the interesting thing is that does he really find that inner peace so this i think so oh yeah go on it was gonna say and more obviously the contradiction that i could not eloquently state before is war that's the contradiction right it's yeah, fighting yeah. for it's fighting for peace that's right that's as obvious and as reduced as that comes right it's right right that is the exactly. contradiction exactly exactly yeah and just the way uh lubich plays with uh plays with the emotions i think mm -hmm. uh you know it, it really does r relate to what i wanted to talk about was it's what people like to call the lubich touch and you he did know, not get me too. <laughs> he didn't. No, he did not. And uh, not at all. Not, not, at all. not, not that kind I, of, I was, yeah. I was waiting. I was, I was, I was wondering, Oh, maybe I should make you beat me to it. Okay. <laughs> so the Lubitsch touch is, is, uh, it's an interesting term because really there is no one solid definition, uh, since uh, Ernst's heyday uh, in in Hollywood, there has been no real solid definition, no real uh, you know words to define what that means. But what I can amount that to is really, it's a style of his own wits and charm. And so I'll take one one of many meanings, and it's from a film historian called Richard, named Richard Christensen, and he. In terms of the Lubitsch touch, he he described it as a, you know, basically, it's a brief description that embraces a long list of virtues, sophistication, style, subtlety, wit, charm, elegance, suavity, polished nonchalance, and audacious sexual nuance. And thanks so for that describing me right there. That's awesome. Oh uh, well, you know, I had to, <laughs> you know, I had to support you, man. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> but see, those are qualities that can easily be found, and I think you guys can 
attest to this. Those Absolutely. are qualities that can be found in, say, shop around the corner. It can be found 100%. in many. Yeah, it can be found in many of Ernst's uh, later works. What he's come to be known for, in which he's taken drama and humor and has basically made them like two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. He knows how to marry the two together on on film. Whereas here in Broken Lullaby, I guess like that was sort of like a big focus of mine was where is that touch? And I don't know about you guys, but I found that touch to be a bit more subdued in Broken Lullaby. Mm-hmm. It's I, it's I'd sort of yeah, it, it doesn't really hit upon the the instances of, of humor, but that charm, that sophistication, that wit is more so found in the melodrama and the way humans interact. And very much especially, so also going back to what I said about conflict and paradox and just the way that the imagery doesn't match the uh, the priest's homily in the beginning and it just sets the tone for the entire film. Once you get to the end, the way that ends, that that twist really seals that off. However, so really, there the Lubitsch touch is still there. However, I just think it's a bit more subdued than his later works. This isn't fully fleshed out Lubitsch, if you ask me. There's a little, there's a little irony, but to your point, I agree. The irony is mm-hmm. how recent this film came out from the silent era. And when you talk about mm-hmm. the silent films, which we have in the past, specifically, I know... Well, you and Ben did an episode on Seven Chances, and right. I talked about it a little bit in Topaz. But the tendency of the silent era is to have major focus on, obviously, visuals. But actors, too, came out of that era with wide eyes and very crazy facial reactions. And I think... <laughs> very expressive, yeah. And I think that's a natural carry over to this Lubish being different from the others because the others you mentioned are after that came after this. Yeah. Yeah. You have that, you have that little hangover of the silent era could be in a good way. Could not, you know, we can talk about that, but um, Mm -hmm. clearly that affects this film and how the melodrama unravels. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree. That's a good point actually. So basically the silent era traces of it, naturally just transfer over into a you know one of the early talkies of the hollywood exactly yeah yeah i understand like all all of these actors are still getting they're all getting used to the sound still right while they're filming this right if you look at lionel barrymore the guy is a great actor and he (laughs) it's funny when i'm watching him in this yeah he really was he really was for the, with the exception of, is that Philip Holmes? Is that what you said his name was? I'm sorry. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> with the exception Phillips of Holmes. him, Philip's Holmes, and with the exception of him, when he hit his highs, he probably matched Barrymore, but Barrymore absolutely was the mo- more consistent. He's clearly the veteran actor. Um, mm-hmm. But what I was going to say was, everybody. outclassed, yeah. yeah. What I was going to say was, his facial reactions, Barrymore's, just sucked me right into uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Like, I could just, I could see Potter <laughs> yeah, you coming off Potter of the guy. Right there. <laughs> even though Agreed. he's a different character. But mm-hmm. um, 
it's cool that it's cool to catch yeah. that familiarity even though he you looks see the characteristics different. yeah exactly exactly it, the it, it's really cool to see the characteristics and the mannerisms just kind of early on mm-hmm. and then it's like hey i i know this guy it's it, it, i i like that feeling whenever i watch films and you see the same actors from the same like say beloved movies uh and it, i don't know there's there it's just a really good feeling it's a really there's good there's a oh, there's a warmth it. to it yeah there's a yeah, warmth there's a war- there's definitely a comfiness to it yeah yeah so a little bit of an irony because the movie isn't necessarily warm but it it does right. it does sort of get there it pulls you in with with the character struggle that we're observing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Shout out also want to mention that I I also love Shop Around the Corner. That is mm-hmm. still my favorite Lubish, even though I've only Your seen three one. of his movies. Yeah. It's, it's my yeah, it's my favorite too. And I think Ben's favorite as well. It's gonna be an annual I have, watch now. I have to have or have not rated higher, but I've seen You mean to be or not to be? That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> someone yeah, checked. So Hawks I think someone <laughs> someone checked the Howard Hawks film in on my letterbox feed today. So that's why I said that. Um, oh, that's why. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, I, I I watched that like to be or not to be. That is, I watched that like three or four years ago. So I I would not. I love mi- that one too. I wouldn't mind watching it in the next two two or three weeks to see what my opinion is. I don't know. I really like that one. I think that one's super funny. So mm-hmm. that's probably why I liked oh, it so much. Yeah, yeah you're a funny a guy. Lot of, uh... <laughs> funny? Funny how? <laughs> There's still plenty of Ernst's uh, filmography that I have not yet seen and ones that I really am aching to see. I know there's there's another one with Gary Cooper. Uh, I believe that one's designed for... No, no, no. Mr. Bluebird's something. I forgot. Um, but... Ernst, you, you glad know, you have more to watch? Yeah. <laughs> the puns, ladies and gentlemen. Get used to them. Get used only, to them. I only have one tonight. That's it. I gotta... Uh, we can, we can sure? keep we can keep doing that one until we kill it. All right. We're, sh- <laughs> we're shutting down the episode now. Chris got his one out. <laughs> well, all right. So let's go... Let's focus on Philip Holmes' character because he's the kind of... The guy, he's the guy other than Lionel Barry, Barrymore's doctor. Uh-huh. There's... Paul... Sorry. Oh, Paul. That's his, Dr. Yeah. Paul. No, no, no. Paul. Doc, Dr. Holderlin and Paul is Philip Holmes. Paul, Phillips. Paul's Phillips. Paul's Holmes. Yeah. Phillips. I really Paul, appreciate Paul you Paul Renard. Paul Renard. Yeah. Okay. You're filling me in because the billing was like the last thing I looked at for this movie. Uh, hey, speaking of billing, I love the billing in the beginning credits where they just say all the actors. Yeah. And it just says the players. The players yeah. I love that. The players, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love that, that in, old, in, in old movies. In and they old, do like, the early 1930s. They do the diagonal, yes. yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah, a little bit yeah. going down with the dot, dot, dot. And like they're all equally, they're all up on the same screen, and they're like, they're kind of all like equals. Like, all right, mm-hmm. there they are, quick. Like you don't give time to read all of them. Like you read the first one, that's about it. Oh, I, I always, I always try to. I'm, I'm I think I'm kind of OCD like that, where I see the, where I see the cast, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try to read it, but I don't even read it in my normal voice. Every time I, I watch these movies, I always imagine like that radio announcer. Going like starring Lionel Barrymore and stuff, stuff like that. Every time, every time, I just can't help it. Kevin's oh God, Kevin's the kind of guy who pauses it and reads it all out loud to himself. I'll be honest, I did that once. Damn it! <laughs> I was going to say it's appropriate you have that Fine. mentality, Kevin, but you you have the voice other than oh. the 1930s or 40s voice. You already have your own. So, 
You should just pause it and read it every time. Whoever you're watching. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I just find it to be really fun. I don't know why. Call me crazy, but it's just really, yeah. It's just crazy. It's just fun to see. Thanks, Ben. (laughs) So not to derail, but back to where I was going was was Mr. Paul, the main character. Paul Renard. Renault. He has that scene. It's after he confronts the priest. Um, and actually, it might not even be him, but I think it's a vital line, so I'm going to say it. The, there's a guy going into the doctor's office, doctor, the doctor played by Lionel Barrymore, and mm-hmm. the guy's kind of in a rush to get into the office, and the person stops him, and he says, I'm a sick man. I have heart trouble. And That's I think that... Air Schultz. It's sort, it, that was... Thank you. That was sort of meant to be like a little funny... Now that you say Heart. it, it's actually funnier when you when you bring it back. But oh, it's funny because <laughs> in the moment, oh, thank you, thank yeah. you. Yeah. He goes in um, there and he's like, "I'm the... he's I'm sick," and then he gets in there and tells the doctor, yeah. "Like, actually, I'm perfectly fine, doc." <laughs> yes, <laughs> I want to highlight the fact that he said heart trouble, though, because that yeah. is analogous to the guilt and what the main character is actually undergoing. So it's it's like a little bit, it's a little kick of comedy, but it's. It's mm-hmm. actually a little bit more deeper than that, I it's think. Meta. Um, mm-hmm. It's I meta. Free code meta. Meta. Free code meta. Yes. I, so, I yeah, my... it's, it's analogous to the moral, ethical, and spiritual war themes that we've already hit on. Totally get that. Yeah. Totally Proceed. get that. Proceed. <laughs> I, I think, honestly, but just in, in terms of the feeling that generates from humor in the pre-code era i mean i haven't seen that many pre-code films but i've seen clips say uh, well i mean like uh, for example I- i've seen the public enemy with jimmy cagney like a classic a big classic and when you look at humor in that you look at mm-hmm. humor in here and you look at uh, okay well i mean i've been meaning to see this but i've seen only clips i'll bring up barbara stanwick again because i'm back on the freaking show so there's an early pre-code barbara stanwick film known uh, called uh, babyface and I saw a clip of that. John, Wayne, I think John Wayne's in it. John yes, Wayne is in it. Is. Yeah, yeah. Very young, very young Duke is in that film. The only time so, they ever shared a scene together. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's very true, which is really interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they I think Ben's thinking about it in his head. He's thinking about we, it. We we brought <laughs> we brought Babs up on the last episode, Kevin, because she was married to Robert Taylor. Yeah. And divorced. I, I know, I remember that. I think what? I told you I was jealous once about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a sad yes. story. All right, so, so babyface, sorry, know, sorry. Anyway, 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 like what I wanted to mention uh, that is that the use of humor in these three films that I, that well, including Broken Lullaby, is that I think humor in the pre-code era, it didn't really necessarily come off as creepy, but the pre-code era films have this eerie, like this eerie atmosphere to them that when you when humor comes about it maybe doesn't come off as humor right off the bat it still is embedded within that sort of eeriness of the pre-code era there's a mystery to it there's a i just yeah there, there's just a really odd idiosyncratic atmospheric quality to pre-code films and it almost seems like there's something lurking in the background so humor you know that it's going to hit you know you know when it hits but it doesn't necessarily come off as humor it almost comes off as this sort of uncomfortable feel and um that's probably why it didn't hit me the first time 
in Broken Lullaby. It's, when I, yeah. It's that silent film hangover effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that ties into into the silent film hangover uh, effect with expressiveness and uh, well, even even the fact playing I with think, a new toy. And I think they were just better at suggesting things because if you yeah. look at a film as you mentioned, Babyface, mm-hmm. there's nothing exactly explicit about that film. But when you follow Babs's character, right, there's you saw that. Plenty, oh, I, I did. Yes, yeah. there is plenty. <laughs> plenty of sexual innuendos and suggestive right. themes based on the props, how the camera moves. And that's outside of just seeing her character react to the other characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And yeah, see the, the, there is um, something really intriguing about that, about the pre-code era. And that's definitely, a uh, a realm of of early film that I have yet to bask Tackle. in, and I, I and I can't wait to I, I can't wait to get there. But uh, but Broken Lullaby uh, does fall into it, it's a good category, I think, if you want to get started into or you know try to get into the pre code era. I think that would be a good a, a good uh, a good leeway, a good gateway into into that world. Yeah, this one or. I had just watched Broken... Uh, sorry, I'm about to say Broken Lullaby. Uh, hmm. Trouble in Paradise. Also... Yeah, another... Yeah. Pre, yep, all, another pre-code and also by Lubish. Yeah. And it's... You know, I... Little parentheses here. <laughs> I hope we're saying his name right. It's not Lubish, right? Uh, it's Lubish. I don't think... I don't Lubitsch. think it's Lubish, yeah. Lubish. I, I went by the way Billy Wilder pronounces, uh, pronounces his name, and I think he does say Lubish... Okay. All well, right. Billy Wilder, William Wyler, and Ernst Lubitsch. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the Austrians. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're giggling yeah, yeah. here, but I've been yeah. saying Lubitsch. Like yeah. a dish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris but just had Lubitsch. to... He had to bring us back on pronunciations, guys. I mean, it's just a constant. It was a parenthesis. Now it's over. Okay. I always, I always thought Moving the same on. Lubitsch was fun. More fun. Where was I going with that thought? Oh, Trouble in Paradise. It's another Lubish pre-code film, and I think that's another spot. That's it's a good entry point. Mm-hmm. That that's just, another one that covers more more suggestive themes between man uh, and woman and their every, relationships. That explanation after you said the words Trouble in Paradise just made me think of Phil Collins the the song <laughs> Another Day. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Think twice. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I don't know people. It's just it's a weird little <laughs> my brain doesn't work now, right. You know what? I listened to Phil Collins when I watched uh, my last silent film. Oh, I know you do. Well I just did it for this I just did it for this one. I watched a movie called Hypocrites from nineteen fifteen. And uh, really? when, it, when, a, when a movie doesn't have its own soundtrack, I pick an album and seriously? I'll play. Yeah, really? seriously. <laughs> and I'll play, wow. I'll play an album with the silent movie. So wow. which, album, that's, which, gonna which that's definitely going to affect your viewing. <laughs> which Phil Collins well, album was it? Yeah. So it wasn't full on Phil Collins. He was obviously singing and drumming. So it was a Genesis album. And I listened to the album Duke while I watched Hypocrites. Um, Man, it's an interesting experience. Yeah, I've done it with. Do that. 
<laughs> I've done it with a few different albums and it's basically when I haven't when I watch a silent movie that doesn't have a soundtrack or if it's a little too ragtimey and it's like too repetitious, then I'll change it. But if it's got like a full orchestral score, mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to that. So ragtime, anyway, are you, are you talking about like, you know, like the entertainer or something? Do, 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 do. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, the, just the piano bit yeah. that a lot of silence have. Yeah. Okay. It's like, just like you picture it's the like piano loop. playing. Okay. You yeah. picture so the you're, piano you're playing not, with the. It's like a twelve-year-old yeah. on Garage Band. They just hit the loop. They make it go forever. Forever. All, so all the way is, to the right, Chris baby. Not, yeah. Chris is not randomly choosing soundtracks just for the sake of it. Uh, I bet you he definitely chose one randomly just for shits and gigs. Well, yeah. for that Have one, that, <laughs> for that one, it's been like a mood thing. I'm like, I haven't listened to this oh, album okay. in a while. I'm gonna throw on Duke, and then. When I listened to it, it actually like the themes of the songs sort of lined up to what was happening, and that was weird. It's the universe <laughs> yeah. talking it to you. To it was meant to yeah. be. But it's but that's why like I brought it up that tangent because Ben was like, I thought of Phil Collins. So like there's a whole other we're, we're connected. No, that, 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 that is an interesting thing because I'm not really sure what the criteria is when it came to silent films back in the day, but there was a real there was a, a live pianist. Right there, when the projector, mm-hmm. when when the projectionist was cranking the film, say like a Buster Keaton film, mm-hmm. in front of audiences in the theater, there was a live pianist there to play music. So really, I think, I guess, music in term in in the same movie in different movie theaters probably had. Oh, I might, I might, I mean, people might correct me on this, but they probably had different scores, right, at their viewing. So probably people that affected their viewing. People saw films and heard things differently. Accompanied so, by a live yeah, orchestra. Yeah, exactly. So you, you, had, so, you know, so, New York, you had an orchestra. Louisiana, you had a little, uh, like, Bayou band. New, New Mexico, they're playing, like, mariachi shit. You know, whatever. Whatever you felt like. <laughs> a little salsa? Yeah. A little, a little salsa, salsa. A little guacamole. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's Very really good. interesting to say, like, when you look at the like the uh the blu-ray releases of say something like harold lloyd safety last and it's 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 always composed by carl davis and he's he's composed uh buster keaton's silence too but you know you look you you think about it or you that wasn't the original music intended by uh so i find that to be really interesting but uh yeah anyway (laughs) it changes (laughs) the experience for sure but this yeah this all relates to the conversation to tie it back into where we started from. It's this 1932 film is in an era where all of these things are changing. So it's actors adjusting to the talkies and then also a change in the format where you have this melodrama where silence had a melodrama for sure, yeah, but it's yeah. handled differently because you have actual dialogue you can tone mm-hmm. down your facial expressions now because mm-hmm. that's not that's not what's saying everything anymore. Yeah. Even though we are in a visual to, format. Yeah. You have to basically, you know, basically just kind of put yourself in the mindset that this is how you say things in real life. This is how you interact with people in real life. But mm-hmm. there is obviously that struggle when you're when you're switching mediums. You're like I said earlier, uh, very, uh, very briefly was, you know, just people playing with a new toy from the, right. the silence to the talkies. And that is, 
an interesting thing to see in in this in this sort of art form uh is that is that struggle like that struggle to just get used to it and struggle again kind of ties back into the themes of broken lullaby well and and think about it it's over time when you get used to having your words and your dialogue pick up the slack for any sort of physical embodiment you you don't there's a there's a balance there you don't want to lose your physical talent or energy just because right. you can say things in words because that doesn't necessarily carry over that way so now yeah. now obviously i'm talking about this whole thing spread over time but this is 1932 obviously it's a pivotal time in cinema it's things are changing um and yes there's the struggle of the main character in this movie yep. as we've yep, talked that's about right. that's right um well, i actually don't i don't really have much more to say about the content of the film ben were you gonna well, yeah i was just gonna say like the main character has he's struggling obviously with with having killed someone in the war but then you have the entire just speaking of the themes we you have the mm-hmm. entire family where he goes in like basically uh what do you what, what do you want to call that he like infiltrates his family and is like yeah i knew your son and you know makes them yes. all they're all struggling they they he um lubich shows you before um paul enters their lives he shows how each one of them is kind of struggling with the loss of uh walter the uh son and fiance of the of the three um but like they're all struggling he comes and kind of solves kind of helps them heal spiritually and just get on with their lives and stop dwelling on Mm -hmm. what had happened and then you also see the exact same kind of thing happening with the townsfolk they're all they can't get over the whole french german uh the clash you know yeah well yeah yeah Yeah. after after the war french uh france won and it's just to me it's 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 lubich is trying to to say or not say he's he's just trying to show people struggle with um you know finding something to live for after a huge personal loss or tragedy and mm-hmm. for like 1932 that's probably i would assume i haven't seen a shit ton of 20s and 30s films but that's probably pretty heavy stuff cuz usually when you go to, to be is, en- yeah. entertained at a theater it's usually happy stuff yeah. right i mean right. probably yes. more times than not so well yeah. Again, 13 years after World War One, we're talking like, like I was trying to put that in perspective like that. That's 2010 from right now while we're recording. That yeah. doesn't that's not that far away, even though it, you know, it's 13 years. But yeah, even though it's 13 years over a decade um, ago. And, uh, you know, I'm not very eloquent about this, but you get my <laughs> point, right? Yeah, I get it. I get yeah, it. just the the relative term it's like wow it's like really recent because you know 13 years ago for us we still remember high school things like that mm. oh, it's yeah. like whoa but <laughs> it, it doesn't feel like that long ago it, so it obviously was a no. very recent it was probably very recent in most of the audience's mind at the time well doesn't the i could be mixing up movies because i've seen a handful recently but isn't there a character in this movie that says we just had a war and there's another one that that's coming around the corner. I believe so. Yeah. I believe yeah. So. There's a character that's yeah. even. I, I think. I think. I think. Uh, 
Phillips Holmes says, says that, that himself. I, I think he was he said that when he was after confession uh, with the priest. Yes, I think, I, think so, he, I think he brought that up. Yeah, yeah, and he, so he's cognizant of the fact that look, we just ended this massacre, what feels like two seconds ago, and we're about to get into another one now. Yeah, right. like how are we supposed to handle all of this mm-hmm. falling in our lap? You know, so much, so much depth, even in a film that was really only an hour, you know, so it's, uh, I love that. Love that. What, yeah, what did interesting... you guys go ahead, Kevin? Yeah. I was just going to ask, what did you guys think of the uh, twist at the end? Because uh, obviously like one would expect that, okay, I mean, this is what's going to happen. And you do really, you do hit that media, that, that level of, uh, well, I don't want to say predictability, but it gets to a point where it's like where, where you think to yourself, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. That's not going to happen. This is going to happen. And it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't expecting the ending. I guess we're spoiling We're spoiling it now. So basically. They're reading. the Well. They're reading the letter when I say they the fiance of Walter, the dead soldier, the dead German soldier. Um, the fiance, uh, I forget her name. Sorry. Um, the actress Elsa. or the 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 uh the the character's name. Yeah, Elsa. Nancy Carroll's Elsa. Yeah. Yes. Oh, is it Elsa? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So she's reading the letter, the last letter that Walter sent to her before he died, which was the day that he was murdered. Well, they keep saying they keep using the word murder. And I don't really understand why it was murder. Why they kept using that word versus just kill? But uh, yeah. m- maybe you guys can answer that after. I finished this point, but they're, yeah, they're reading this letter and it, earlier in the film, you, you realize that Paul had finished writing the signature of the letter because the letter was still on Walter's body after he was, well, Walter, I guess, tried to sign his name or, or he, he tried. Yeah. And then and he then, died before he could, yeah. he could write the last letter. And I guess yeah. obviously that implies that Paul had put it in the post. He, he had to have sent it to, to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the end, they're reading this letter again, and he finishes the letter, you know, without even reading it. She, she's reading it, and he's like standing across, you know, the room, and he finishes it word for word because he had already read it. And then now she knows that she she figures out that he killed uh, Walter, and you're expecting like this whole big reveal to everybody in the family to know about it, but nope. He she's like, nope. no, you're you're not gonna tell him. You're gonna just live here forever and make them happy. It is what it oh, is. Boy. Yeah. And then how how does it end? I mean, I don't know if this feeds into the title um, "Broken Lullaby," but they, Paul is a violinist in an orchestra mm-hmm. before the war, and at the end yes. he finds, I guess, what you'd call "quote unquote" peace in music, playing music for the the um the parents of Walter, and mm-hmm. it's just kind of like a little po- poetic scene, but. That's the end. They 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 don't yeah. they don't ever fi- figure out the truth, which is probably no, better. Don't. It's probably better for their sake. So, well, the connection to the title, if I may, is you have all of our sons and daughters going, mostly sons, going to war. So the broken lullaby is the fact that all of these sons are dying for what the film touches upon in the contradiction that we've already mentioned. Um, but it's also a broken lullaby because of how that music becomes universal at the end. When you have the right. family listening to the instrument that was played by the son who was killed in the war, and they're, they're playing this music 
that brings them back the memory of their son. So it's 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 one huge loop, really. That yeah, that brings music into the fore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, in a way, like I felt that. Well, I, I guess like Paul did find peace at the end, but in a way, uh, that that piece that he plays on the violin for me sort of indicates that no i'm still i found peace for this family but i haven't really found peace for myself so it once i saw that you know well once once that scene came about it just kind of brought me back to the priest's homily in the very beginning the imagery uh, of the swords on the church floor just mixed in with the priest's homily in which i'll, I'll just quote the last part of it where well, where he says let us look to our t-. no no he said yeah let us look to our tomorrows and forget our yesterdays as it turns out when paul begins playing that piece on the violin only a few people look forward to tomorrows and those people are the parents of walter mm-hmm. while only others can continue to remember the yesterdays and that happens to be that happens to be paul and walter's grief continuing continually grieving fiance uh, elsa so that when i look at that that twist it also just ties into the the sort of wits and charm that you can find in the lubich touch i like that kevin so, yeah it's yeah. it's also ending on a contradiction which is the title is a broken lullaby, but yet it ends on a continuously played tune until the the film fades. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Which is kind Definitely. of interesting. It's, yeah, they're playing. Yeah. I mean, they're playing Beethoven's sim, uh, Fifth Symphony, right? Or I believe so. Yeah. 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 Beethoven, um, Beethoven's Fifth. Yeah. So that's that's just another interesting thought. And Ben, props to you for bringing that up with the title. Yeah, there's there's a lot of poetic nuance to what's going on that's not I don't think it's quite obvious it's, maybe it, the ending is obvious once they bring in the music and how that could relate to the title but mm-hmm. I mean lullabies are, are sung to, to babies and to kids mm-hmm. and it's that to scene bring to bring them peace and it's that mm-hmm. it's that scene we haven't talked about where the two mothers are at the graves and ah yes and they're they're grieving with each other and they both knew each other's sons and the one woman is talking about how she used to make a certain cake and she used to tell, she's telling the other woman that, Oh yeah, your son was over all the time. I used to make this cake like this. And, she, and yeah, she's like, Oh cakes, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. The cinnamon cakes. And it's like, she yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I used to make the cinnamon cake, but she never, he never ate it. You know, he never liked mine or whatever. And I never knew he went over your house and ate it. And she's like, yeah, I always added, (laughs) yeah, how do you make it? And she's like, oh, I always. Two cups of sugar. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's, how how did I not think of that? I'll have to remember that for next time. And then she realizes that next time isn't going to happen because her son's dead. And um, so, again, that's another obvious scene probably, but it's indicative of what we're talking about. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, just to, this, this is my last thought, but just to add to the theme of Broken Lullaby. So when I mentioned the priest's homily in, in the beginning, that was supposed to be a lullaby in a way because that was supposed to bring all those in attendance, the French soldiers who had just gone through hell and secured the victory 
for uh, for France against the Germans, that was supposed to be the lullaby to cement that peace that they have finally found. However, in the end, it turns out to be a broken lullaby because only half the family, the parents, find peace. However, Paul and and, and Elsa don't find that peace at all. So, yeah, that does cement broken lullaby at the very end. That's a good way. Well said. Yeah. That's a good way to segue into my question. Do you think do you think that they ever found peace? I mean, I I, I would hope that after some time they would. Uh when I say, yeah. when I say they, I yeah. mean Paul and Elsa. Paul and Elsa. Not, I would not I right would, away. I would be but... the same. Right, not right away. It, it it's it's going to take a lot of time before they do find that peace, but I do I am in that same camp as as you've been that they they will find peace eventually. Um, but I think that there is some inner peace to be found that the parents are no longer grieving because they finally moved on. And they've only, they've only finally moved on after uh, Elsa had told, uh, told them that white lie. But Paul has to, you know, he's got to play, he's got to play his part in order for it to... And that's you know, kind of isn't that not is. is that not his own penance that, that like hey this is what I got to do to feel yeah better, yeah yeah that's right? a good way to look at it yeah but with penance you know you you you've got to you've got to take your time with it and eventually then you'll find that peace so yeah Paul Paul does it will eventually find that peace he's just got to he's got to suffer first yet again and let that circle back so, yeah. to the Christ imagery yeah yeah he's yeah, got to carry exactly. carry that cross or violin yeah yeah. That's right. Yeah, he's got to carry his cross. <laughs> so, are we ready to rate this one? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. All right. Who want Chris first? <laughs> I'll go first, boys. I remembered that you like your ratings out of 10. Yeah. Why are you bringing that up? Just do it. Don't bring it. Don't don't bring attention to it. <laughs> I'm going to rate it Everyone this uh, 7 out of 10. Very good. Yes, I think we're we might be in the same camp, people. Seven out of ten for me as well. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm the seven. Yeah, <laughs> so <Are we? laughs> oh, yeah, seven. Man. Yeah, yeah. I love the. I I really do like this Lubitsch film. I just you know like from and I think we spoke about it as if it should probably be. It should probably get a rating higher than seven, right? But it, you know, it sort of feels that way. But yeah, it sort of um, feels that way. I think this is a film that you need to hash out with other people because I think going into tonight, I was sort of thinking a six out of 10 and then talking about talking about this always helps, <laughs> you know, you're right, right. You're, you're weighing things that you might not have seen or um, maybe you're just letting it stew a little bit more. Right. Mm -hmm. Continuously thinking about it. You know, so, so you're saying talking to, Kevin and I pumped up your rating. Um, I'm saying I think it did a little bit. I, I was sort of on that fence yeah. between a six and a seven. I was, I was. We persuaded you. Could go either way. We persuaded you. <laughs> what persuaded we me? We brought it up. <laughs> I did bring it up. I think, I think just talking about the themes more. I mean, I, I could see it. I just don't think. It initially hit me. Yeah, uh, until, I mean, until the same we talked time, about it, yeah. you know. Same with me. I mean, I, I I was I had landed on a seven 
by myself, but like it's a strong seven. I'm like, this is really it's a well made it film. Strong. It's a it strong, strong. strong seven. You're right. It is it is strong. And I was gonna make a point before to say that based on or compared to other war films, it, it feels like an inverse to to modern war films where gosh, what do I mean by that? I mean that it's this movie is hitting on I guess it's the moral it's it's like a personal moral battle that I'm I'm not sure is exactly analyzed in modern war films. Mhm. Yeah. I see what you mean there. You know, in a way on. it seems a bit deeper. Watch right? some Hacksaw Ridge, bruh. Hacksaw Ridge is good. Well, and that's that's you bring that up. I mean, he's a pacifist, right? So um, yeah, <laughs> have you you seen God, that? Right. Please let me get one more. Yeah, yeah. God, please let me get one more. Hey, one don't more. try that southern one accent, Chris. <laughs> don't go down there. I actually wasn't going for southern. I was just going for like a light ethereal. Let me get one more, like an Oliver yeah. Twist. Although he's English. I was Can I get one more? more one more. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. So this is a pretty. I would say it's a fairly Catholic movie, right? Or at least, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think it treats Christian. Ca- it treats it treats Catholicism in a good light. Um, I, I mean, but, it's whenever there's a redemption type of story, and there's a lot of religious, redemption, religious, penance. yeah, re- a lot of religious a lot, symbol- symbology. You have a confession and yeah. a Latin blessing. I mean, that exactly, exactly, yeah. It I think that's in, enough, in, right there. So. This is a perfect segue into what I have to say next. And this is a surprise to you two. I, uh, we have a mailbag from one of our boys. Yeah. First mailbag in a a while. Send in your mailbags (laughs) to the searchers podcast at gmail.com. And we will talk about you on the pod. So I'm not going to read this whole thing. Uh, it's very long. I'll share it with you guys after, but I just wanted to highlight, uh, one of our friends from the LB also known as letterboxd. Uh, Mr. Joe Wilson. Ah, uh, Joe. And Joe recently started a, I guess it, you call it a, I mean, this is so 2004, Joe, but a blog um, for 100 movies every Catholic should watch. Yes. And uh, yes, it's very, yeah. I mean, that's kind of related to what we're talking about. So it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect timing, Joe. Thank you. I, I'm, <laughs> and I just got back from Italy, the most Catholic country in the world so yeah. trifecta mm-hmm. boom um, and that's why <laughs> joe, joe sent this like a three weeks ago and i've been away so i hadn't seen this email so sorry joe um we will get into more details with joe off offline but uh he wants to do some sort of collab with us so that's oh, pretty cool sweet yeah oh nice okay very cool yeah so Definitely. we'll uh i'll very share cool. this i'll share more details with you guys after but yeah that's Broken Lullaby, nineteen thirty-two. Kevin, great pick. Um, I was thank you. I was, I was like, you know, all right, nineteen thirty-two. It might be bad. It might be <laughs> good. Little, you never know. You're, you're a little worried. <laughs> no, I wasn't worried. Oh, okay. Where, uh, since Kevin, I know you have the physical media. Where can you get this movie? Well, you can get it on Kino Lorber. Kino Lorber uh, has sales from time to time, and you can get it at a good price right there. Or you can just hop on Amazon Prime. However, my uh, 
think it's probably going to be around 20 bucks if you get it on 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 prime so sure, you're sure. gonna have to wait for the sale it's not for the listeners it's just for me and chris but show us that sweet cover mm-hmm. that blu-ray cover that's sweet sweet oh there you Doesn't go that look pretty yes ain't she pretty she's yes. pretty right so I how don't know why I did the southern see, there. you got it. <laughs> <laughs> I planted the seed in your head. Got, with my really you bad. Did. Hey, we got the inception. The, what's the what's the word for four? Not not a trifecta. What's the next one? Quad something. Uh, uh, we oh got boy. well. We got that. You're, you're um, good at math, man. I would think you know that. Hey, I know trifecta. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Quad fucker. I don't know. Uh, this is perfect for. The fourth thing is we're talking about a Mel Gibson movie, and he's Catholic as hell. So yes, yes, all the Catholic Ew. stuff, all the Catholic stuff on all this episode. Yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir. But uh, yeah, oh yeah, I went to the Vatican, Kevin. It was yeah, I'm was, so proud. <laughs> it was it was an experience. You went to the Sistine Chapel too. Yep. Yeah. Did, I did. Oh. Wait, did did you did you only go in there once or did, did you uh yeah i only had we were only there once yeah three oh, right hours. yeah because you were only there for yeah you, you were barely in rome for a, we were for a, bopping yeah, we, around we, for my pilgrimage we went we went through it like maybe four times because we we're like i i didn't see enough of it i got to go back in again and you went to the vatican you know, four times yeah wow <laughs> yeah i went there i mean four yeah times I, into the sistine saint, chapel saint peter's times. basilica is impressive it is, is jaw dropping. But um, did you see St. Peter's tomb, like right beneath the? Uh, I, w- I went through the whole. The, you went through the whole thing. Okay, the yeah, whole yeah. tomb. Yeah, the whole tomb section. I, like that. I yeah. kind of just stumbled upon that. They weren't really advertising that it was there, and I was like, "What's this <laughs> staircase in the middle of a church?" Okay, let's go down yeah. here. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it was That's really yeah, cool. It was great, it's, but it, it's I can get lost in in Rome for hours, and uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Eternal City. And this we got, is a very Catholic and we, episode. People. And we got Chris over here, the spicy meatball. <laughs> I have not been to Rome. It's a me, a Mario. But, <laughs> They're all the Italian shit at the wall, let it stick. Yes. I am a little Italian. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm Italian. talking about. And this... my name has a derivation that means Christ bearer. Yeah, so, that's very true. That's my contribution. Just, just keep the train going. <laughs> uh, We're gonna find so many connections as we keep going. Yeah, that's all I got for tonight. Yeah, so you, you can <laughs> find the movie, the Blu-ray, on Amazon Prime or Kino Lober's website if they have a sale. As Kevin said, yep. please like, yep. rate, and subscribe to us on. If you like what you hear, please definitely like us and rate us and subscribe. Um, if you don't like. If you don't like us, still rate us a five. It's fine. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Spotify, or drop us a comment. Yeah. Or email us at our yeah. the searches podcast at gmail.com. Uh, yeah. You'll find us on Spotify, Apple, Podbean, and the other places that take RSS feeds. So probably any podcast service. And uh, that's all I got, guys. Till next time. Arrivederci. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye. to the searchers podcast if you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies you can find us on letterboxd ben at giant 13 chris at ziglet underscore mer and me at kevin chan find us on spotify and apple podcasts and on searchers film podcast.podbean.com
Until next time, people.